Hello, and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Keep It Renal podcast. Um, this week, we've got a really, really interesting story for you. I'm going to be talking to Dr. Rona Smith from Cambridge University. Today, we have Dr. Rona Smith from Cambridge University, who is part of a team working on the Protect V, V being for Vulnerable, study. And as part of this trial, they're looking to see if they can deliver a drug um, via an inhaler, Uh, So the drug will be inhaled into the lungs um, and used as a topical treatment to prevent COVID-19 infection. Kidney patients often receive immunosuppressive treatment uh, and their immune system responses to vaccines can sometimes be less effective. So looking for a drug that can help protect this very vulnerable population from developing COVID-19 in the first place would be an excellent development. And we're hearing a lot in the media about how Um, A lot of these processes and the bureaucracy behind getting treatments to patients is being sped up. And this is a really great example, sort of really exciting and thrilling journey that um, Rona and her team have been on. um, Going from sort of conceptualising the idea that this drug might work to developing the study, getting the relevant permissions, getting it implemented and launching it um, today on the 22nd of February. Rona explains this much, much better than I ever could. So um, a little less waffling from me and a little bit more information from Rona. Hope you enjoy. My name's uh, Rona Smith. I'm a consultant nephrologist that works in Cambridge um, and I work both clinically and spend uh, much of my time doing research as well, looking into various treatments that may benefit patients with kidney disease and also other autoimmune diseases. Great. And so did you, how did you sort of come upon the, the, the world of medical trials? Was that, did you, did you do a PhD or did you intercalate during medical school? So I did an MD as part of my specialist training in renal medicine. And at that point, I was working on a clinical trial, um, looking at uh, drugs to treat um, vasculitis which is one of the conditions uh, that is included in the study that I'm now working on now. So I've done clinical trial work now for probably over 10 years, actually. And how do you how do you find that mixing with your with your clinical role in that? Um, I, I've read something a few years ago that the sort of drug treatment in the nephrology world is sort of amongst the, the least well evidence based um, in medicine. So obviously you're probably someone who's quite passionate about evidence-based medicine. How do you rectify the two? So kidney patients are, are quite difficult patients to study in trials and therefore they're often excluded from many trials. And that's because many of the medicines that we use um, are cleared by the kidneys and so you have to make dose adjustments. Also many patients take a lot of medication and there's all sorts of interactions. And so often they're quite difficult to study and therefore excluded from trials. But I think through my clinical work, I can see where the real needs are for development of therapeutics and what the patients really want. And therefore, um, I feel having a combination of a clinical and an academic background is actually really, really helpful in terms of clinical trial medicine. So how did you, if, if, if you sort of look, look towards a, a year ago, around this time last year, when we were getting, I guess, the start of cases, a few isolated outbreaks, maybe, I can't remember the specific numbers, but it was, I think it was probably this time last year that it was starting to be like, this could hit. Um, How did you feel? 
So I think about a year ago, it was probably calm before the storm, but quite early on in the first wave of the COVID pandemic, we actually realized that our kidney patients were very vulnerable. And that was particularly the patients, the dialysis patients who had to go to hospital three times a week for life-saving treatment. So they fell into the category that were advised to be shielding at home to protect themselves from the virus. But by virtue of their illness, they couldn't do that. And therefore, in the first wave, we saw many cases of COVID-19 in our dialysis patients. And sadly, many of them did die. And it was really at that point that myself and colleagues here in Cambridge began to actually have the idea of a study where we could think about treatments that prevented them contracting the infection. My, my brother dies um, of COVID uh, in March, um, even though he was, he was 32, we weren't aware. I mean, he must have had something underlying, um, but we didn't know about it. Um, so I don't say this flippantly, but actually from a scientific point of view, I found it to be quite an exciting time. It's been quite, um, I don't know, quite amazing actually how quickly as a scientific community, we've all been able to sort of just even tweak what we're looking at slightly for great benefit. So it's really nice that quite quickly, um, not only has this trial sort of been thought about, proposed, but you know, you're gonna be launching. Um, that's quite a quick turnaround. So um, it's been quite a roller coaster of a year. Um, and I have to say, there was a real flurry of activity early on in, in the pandemic. Um, and fortunately, there were many processes in place which allowed studies to be set up more quickly than the many months that often they take. But of course, still undergoing the same rigorous ethical and regulatory review. Um, but the main issue with the, the study at the beginning was which agent should we test? Because we really didn't know much about COVID-19 infection. We had a problem. We know we wanted to prevent, pre uh, protect individuals and prevent them getting infection. But actually, one of the big issues was what to test. So how did that thought process sort of develop from there? How did you sort of alight upon this drug? Which I can't pronounce. So the study has gone through um, a, an evolution of a number of agents that were considered. We looked at the literature about which agents were being identified through various screens of existing drugs. Um, we looked at what other people across the world were doing and what they were testing. Um, and we considered various agents, uh, but we in the end settled on niclosamide as the first agent to put into this platform. And what I mean by a platform is that it's a trial where there's the possibility of adding further agents in due course if they show promise. And that means it's a much, much more efficient way of testing medicines because you don't have to set up individual trials. Right. So niclosamide, um, I learned about probably back in August um, as a medication. Um, and it had, it's been around for about 40 or 50 years. Um, and it's actually on the World Health Organization list of an essential medicine. But it's commonly used as a tablet to treat parasitic worm infections. 
and it works extremely well in the gut where the worms are. But one of the problems is that it's not absorbed from the gut. And therefore, in the formulation of tablets, it was unlikely to be beneficial against COVID in terms of, although the mechanism looked very promising, it just wouldn't get to the place that was needed. And therefore, over the, the months of the summer, it was reformulated into a liquid nasal preparation, which can be used as a spray that you squirt up your nose, a bit like a hay fever spray. Um, and therefore it gets directly to the cells, the nasal epithelium lining the nose, which is thought to be the main point of entry for COVID-19 infection and also the point of, of viral replication. The other reason why this is really appealing for a, a group of kidney patients is because it's a topical medicine and very little of it gets absorbed into the bloodstream. Um, therefore, we don't have to worry too much about interactions with many of the other medicines. And also, if any of it is absorbed into the bloodstream, the liver is the principal organ that clears the drug. And therefore, this again is appealing for people with kidney disease. So when we were looking for agents to go into the platform, those two features made it appealing for kidney patients. And there seemed to be good scientific rationale for using it based on data from um, laboratory um, models of disease. It's basically the perfect candidate, really, then if you if you had a bullet point list of things you'd want. That's really cool. And I think the other thing is that message I'm trying to get across to um, any sort of non-scientists that are listening is that what, what's really come out from, from all this since the pandemic is that we have we have a lot of tools now and the frameworks and like, you know, sort of sort of clinical trial design. And I guess even to the way the vaccine works, you know, you drag and drop the different parts of mRNA or whatever you're using, you know, or you drag and drop the drug, but the framework and the infrastructure and all the sort of design aspects are already there. And that's why it can be so quick. I think, uh, I think I heard it explained a while ago that, you know, people are surprised that, hang on, these trials that normally take years are now taking, you know, months. And it's like, well, yeah, instead of tidying the whole house, we're tidying one room, you know, uh, and, and, and it's firefighting, you know, this, you know, all our sort of research interests that are pressing and are, and are still pressing in the face of this, if there's something we can do to help this immediate um, problem, then then why wouldn't you do that? Um, cool. So um, would you have anything to say then about would you call this a repurposing of a drug then or sort of using a drug that I guess at least we know a lot about the safety profile? Presumably it's cheap, is it? So we, we certainly know lots about the, the safety profile of the tablet formulation and it's the same drug compound in the nasal formulation. That nasal spray has gone through what we call a phase one study, which means that that particular new form, the nasal spray, was trialed in healthy volunteers in a small study just to make sure that there were, were no unexpected safety concerns related to it. And actually in that study, there, it was found to be um, safe. And although they didn't test the effectiveness against the virus, it means that it, we can therefore put it into our platform to then see whether it is effective against preventing people contracting COVID-19. 
So if people come across the term double blind in the design of this study, could you just talk us through what that is and what the considerations behind that are? Yeah, so when we design clinical trials, we often talk of um, a term blinding and randomization. So what we do is when we enroll people into a study, they're often randomized, which means it's a bit like tossing a coin. There's an equal chance that you'll get either the drug or you may get what we call a placebo or a dummy. So in this case, it means that you've got a 50% chance of getting the niclosamide spray or 50% chance of getting a spray that just contains a liquid but no drug. Um, blinding means that the patient doesn't know, the doctor doesn't know, the nurses don't know. And that is the most robust way of testing whether um, a drug is effective because it removes many of the elements of what we call bias. So it means that people may think they have a side effect because they're taking a medication, but actually um, it may not be a side effect, a true side effect. Equally, the reverse may be they believe that they're being protected because they're taking a drug. And equally, we wouldn't want anyone to change their behaviors assuming that they were protected. So the most robust way of scientifically testing something is to have it against a placebo. Cool, and yeah, important that you're, that you're sort of both blinded to it as well. So there's no um, uh, sort of bias coming from the clinicians running the trial as well. So um, in terms of your recruitment, um, what sort of numbers are you looking at and how quickly do you think you'll be able to, to fulfill the requirement? So we're looking to uh, recruit at least uh, 1,500 patients to the study. Um, and we're hoping to do that over a period of about six months. Um, and that will start recruitment initially in Cambridge and then hopefully roll out to other renal centres across the UK. Um, there's a network of um, dialysis units that I work closely with on some other studies. Um, and therefore, we can use that network to approach other centres about potentially enrolling their patients into the study. One of the difficult things when designing uh, studies uh, to test medications that protect against COVID is that you need to actually see infections happen. And therefore, we don't quite know how quickly these infections will happen. At the moment, thankfully, we're coming towards the end of a wave of infections. And therefore, it may take longer to do the study because the infection rate's low. But then equally, if we see another wave, there may be um, the opportunity that we capture the required number of infections to demonstrate a difference between the treatment and the placebo. So patients could take the treatment for up to nine months, um, but it may be shorter uh, depending if we see the required number of infections to be able to demonstrate the difference. And we have yeah. some statisticians who are completely independent to the trial that look at this data periodically and will advise us whether we should continue to recruit or whether we have sufficient information to answer the question yeah and that's crucial isn't it that they're they're independent and they can sort of keep an eye on all this it, le it leaves you with quite a funny dilemma really doesn't it sort of 
wanting the pandemic to go away and the numbers to come down, but not so much. You know, <laughs> it's a really interesting position to be in. It, it is. And, and, and I think I think my overwhelming desire is that we have no more infections. Um, but then again, you say that's balanced between you want the trial to be a success. I think um, th- the key thing is that we really just don't know what's going to happen over coming yeah, months. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and, and the, the rollout of the vaccine has been a fantastic success. And certainly everybody going into our study, we encourage them to have the vaccine. That's the best protection that they can get. And we are offering this as protection over and above. And the reason why that's really quite important in this group of patients with kidney and autoimmune disease is that it's known that these patients may well not respond quite so well to vaccination as other healthy individuals. And I think the other thing just always to bear in mind is that if there are variants of the virus that maybe may be less uh, susceptible to protection from the vaccine, then this may offer protection against those. Yeah, so I suppose you would never get ethical clearance for telling people to stop wearing their mask or whatever, but you're there to collect the data if, as and when, these kidney patients develop COVID. Yeah, yeah. so we are absolutely telling people that they should follow all the current government guidance of social distancing, uh, washing hands, wearing face masks, absolutely. Um, but we are in a position that we capture um, infections and data on those infections when they occur. And we actually add database links to Public Health England data feeds so we can automatically uh, be alerted if somebody has a positive swab for COVID infection. So just thinking about the drug then, will that prevent infection occurring, uh, limit and sort of um, limit the duration or the severity of the of the disease? Um, would it be worth taking, say, once you've already started to notice the onset of symptoms, do you think? So um, what, what the main aim of the study is to look and see whether it prevents infection. But if a patient during the trial did contract COVID-19 infection and they were well enough still to be at home, then we're advising them to continue taking the trial medication for up to 28 days. And one of the secondary things that we'll look at is the outcome, whether they have a less severe outcome um, as a result of the medication. If unfortunately somebody became more unwell and was admitted to hospital, at that point, we are advising to stop the medication and then that would make them therefore eligible to enter many of the other studies, for example, the recovery study that's running to look at treatments for hospitalised patients. So you're going to be able to pull a lot of really nice data out, out of this study then? So it, when you design a study, it's always a balance between collecting enough data to answer the question and not too much data to place a burden either on the patients who have to maybe submit questionnaires or on uh, nursing staff or research staff who are extremely busy in the pandemic. So um, it's, it's a real balance when designing the study. But what we've tried to do with our platform is make it as efficient as possible and Therefore, we focus very clearly on capturing 
key data points and then also linking, as I said, with Public Health England and also other data sets such as the Office of National Statistics, which will capture if anybody dies or hospital um, HES data, so hospital episode statistics. So we will know if anyone's been admitted to hospital. So we're trying to use efficient methods to make gather as much data as we can without placing a huge burden either on the patients or staff. Yeah, well, I think you're, I think you're definitely doing that. Um, what would you, what hopes do you sort of hold in mind for this as a sort of drug delivery vehicle? I think that could be as as useful as anything. Um, I mean, I suppose it's, it's only ever going to be likely for other infections that come in respiratory, but do you think it could help? I don't know, is, is flu a particular problem in these patients too? So yes, so kidney patients and immune suppressed patients are vulnerable to, to flu. Um, and we advise them every year that they should have their annual influenza vaccine. I think this year has been a slightly atypical year where rates of flu have actually been very low, probably as a reflection of all the measures that we've been taking to prevent COVID-19 infection. But certainly with niclosamide, um, there is some lab evidence that it may well be effective against other respiratory viruses, so potentially influenza. Um, so it may have a broader effect than just COVID-19 infection. I think, it's, I think this could well be an awesome story of a great investment by LifeArc, Adam Brooks and Kidney Research UK in terms of a wealth of data that they'll get back from the study either which way, you know, because um, I mean, yeah, you might not always get the answer you want, but answers in themselves are still valuable. Um, but also how quickly it goes from not even bench to bedside, from um, reading the literature, you know, scanning on your, reading a paper on your smartphone on the bus or whatever to, to bedside. That, that'd be, that, that must be really satisfying and one of the great parts of your jobs if, if you sort of see that story through. Yeah, I have to say um, it's been incredibly hard work the last year and there's been many hurdles along the way. Um, but actually recruiting the first patients into this study and talking to patients um, and actually um, seeing the study progressing it is extremely, extremely exciting. And the, the early feedback that we've had is that patients are very keen to take part. Um, kidney patients are often very engaged in their treatments um, and, and uh, often are not eligible for many studies. So a study that's really just focusing on patients with, with kidney disease it is quite unusual. Uh, it doesn't sound like you will have had an awful lot of spare time recently, but what sort of things do you like to do to, to relax when you're, when you're away from the lab and the hospital? Well, <laughs> I haven't had much spare time. That's very true the past year. But um, I think one of the good things that has come out of the pandemic is actually spending much more time with my family. I have two small uh, little girls um, and actually um, the pandemic has put a lot of things in perspective and actually not being able to go out the house means that we spend quality time together. Yeah, I'd really, I'd really agree with that. I've been... I've got a little boy who's who's three and then a, 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 um, an eight week old and um, and being able to have your lunch with them. And don't get me wrong, there's been the odd hour where I thought I could really do being at the lab right now. But for the most part, it's been really, really nice. So, yeah, we've got to take the positives, haven't we?
definitely. Really interesting to hear from Rona there the importance of doing these trials in kidney patients who are often an underserved group when it comes to developing trials um, due to, as Rona mentions, the, the complications of trialing drugs in kidney patients. So this is this is incredible, incredible news for kidney patients, um, and we will watch the uh, we'll watch for the results of this study coming through, which I'm sure will be well publicised by um, Kidney Research UK. I just wanted to mention that we are here for you, the listener. We are here to cover topics that uh, you would like to be covered. Um, So if there is anything you'd like to be covered or you have any ideas, please do get in touch. You can use our Twitter handle, which is at KeepItRenal. And we also have a Facebook page, which again, if you just search for Keep It Renal Podcast, you should be able to find us. Um, And please do get in touch and give us your feedback and give us any ideas. And also like and share. Please share the podcast as widely as you can. It really helps us spread the message and the more people we can get to the sort of more interactive this can become and the more of a community we can really start to develop um but yes i hope you're well please do take care um i'm recording this on the morning of the 22nd of february so we're due to have the information this afternoon of our route map out of lockdown so i hope we all get the news we want um whilst maintaining safe so yes please do take care and please do get in touch if you have any questions or feedback Thank you very much. Take care and see you on the next one. Bye.